Welcome to In the Booth, Maritime Health's podcast series touching on the most relevant information for the TPA industry. I'm Stacey Mead, Regional President for Maritime's National Accounts. I'm here today with Dr. Chaga Turu, Chief Medical Officer for CVS Health, Maritime's parent company. We're excited to be talking about the latest developments on the COVID vaccine, as well as the role plan sponsors can play in helping to protect their members. So let's get started. First, thank you, Dr. Chagaturu, for being here today. Can you start by telling us about what we should expect over the for the vaccine over the next few weeks? Sure thing. It really is a pleasure to be here. And so uh, this has been such a rapidly evolving space, and uh, I'm excited to bring you up to speed on what's been happening in terms of COVID vaccine development, as well as distribution administration. But why don't we first start with a little bit around the science and uh, what are we actually trying to do with the COVID-19 vaccine? And, you know, we currently here at the beginning of December have nearly uh, two, over 200 vaccine candidates that are in some form of investigation uh, with respect to COVID-19. This is an unprecedented scientific achievement. We only first discovered this virus late last year. We only first genomically sequenced it uh, in the um, early winter um, in around February of this year. And here we are now with over 200 uh, plus candidates. So that in and of itself is a, a tremendous scientific feat. But in addition to that, it's important to note that there will be multiple vaccines that come to market and each one will have different safety and efficacy profiles. And uh, as we think about moving forward into 2021 and beyond, we'll need to make sure that we have a good sense of the science, the different uh, profiles, and how do we ensure that the right patient gets the right vaccine at the right time. If we think about what the vaccines are trying to do, vaccines at its most simplest are trying to train the immune system to identify the coronavirus. And if you think about those pictures of the coronavirus, there's been these spikes that are coming off this spherical um, virus. And corona actually means crown, and those spikes are the spike, the crown of the coronavirus. It turns out that that spike is actually a really good way to train the immune system to recognize the coronavirus and then uh, kick into gear the uh, ability to fight against the coronavirus when it sees it. So our vaccines in general are trying to train the immune system around that spike protein. Uh, it's called the S protein. And we're doing that in a lot of different ways. So in terms of the ways that we're doing it, there's some traditional approaches. I won't go into much detail around the different approaches that we have. Uh, but, uh, you know, we either take the whole virus and then uh, reduce its infectivity. And we see that sort of in polio or TB vaccines. There are not many candidates in that space, so we won't really uh, spend much time there. But then there's other candidates where you're taking the protein, the spike protein, and showing just that protein to the immune system and training the immune system. So we see that with some manufacturers like Novavax, uh, Sanofi, and GSK uh, with their protein subunit vaccine. There are other candidates where we're injecting the uh, coronavirus spike gene, the the gene that actually creates and encodes that uh, spike and putting it into another virus. So these are called viral vectors. And so AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, Axar, these are companies that are actually using a virus, genetic material encoded in the virus to training our immune system. Um, and then there's uh, the more uh, new manufacturing process, which is 
actually incorporating that spike protein into, uh, and we manufacture that in the lab, the, the DNA or the RNA, and inject that directly into the body uh, using um, uh, uh, an innovative way of delivering it, uh, what we call a lipid bilayer cholesterol envelope. And so that trains the body around the spike protein. And there's two leading manufacturers, Pfizer and Moderna, uh, where we've heard some early reports of very high safety and efficacy uh, of these nucleic acid vaccines. So really exciting, over 200 candidates uh, and a lot of different approaches that we're taking. So uh, I hope that's helpful in terms of the science. And so I thought, um, Stacey, if it makes sense, I'll just keep moving on and we'll talk a little bit about uh, what the road to approval looks like and what we'll be seeing over the next few weeks. Does that sound good? Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So um, a lot of different scientific approaches, but then the question is how are we actually uh, able to create a vaccine so quickly and how did we, um, uh, and then what's the actual um, aspects that the FDA is going to be looking at? So in terms of the reasons why we've had a vaccine so quickly, we have um, really had a head start scientifically by using some data and information that we had prior to the SARS-CoV-2 epidemic. Uh, so Middle East Respiratory Syndrome and SARS-CoV-1 really helped us build on a platform of science. So we weren't starting from ground zero. We also co-invested uh, the federal government through Operation Warp Speed uh, and other vehicles have uh, enabled us to uh, de-risk the manufacturing process by providing uh, uh, government investment. We've also been able to recruit heavily because of the pandemic and then also show that there's an impact uh, of the vaccine because of the high rates of transmission that's happening. So you're able to show the impact of the vaccine much quicker than in a case where an infectious disease doesn't actually uh, have as much um, uh, uh, event. So think about Ebola, for example. It's harder to show the impact of an Ebola vaccine than it is to show uh, a COVID vaccine. And we're also using a lot of cutting-edge approaches, so uh, like the uh, approaches that Pfizer and Moderna are taking. So really, this has been unprecedented speed, but the speed is not because of any shortcuts. It's because of that head start on science, government investment, our ability to show impact or pandemic, these new cutting-edge approaches. And what the FDA is going to be looking at is the safety and the efficacy when they meet uh, later on in December to review the candidates that have submitted at the time that we're recording Pfizer and Moderna have both submitted to the FDA. And they're going to be looking for at least a 50% effectiveness which means that the people who received the vaccine were 50% less likely to get COVID than those who are in the placebo arm. They want to see that there's a very large population that are in these trials. They also want to look at the safety data, um, and they want to see at least two months of safety data uh, in the submission. There's other aspects around adverse events and manufacturing processes that the FDA will also be reviewing. But the key point here is, did you reduce uh, um, COVID uh, by 50% and did you have two months of safety data? And so we have a number of manufacturers who are working. I've mentioned them already in the course of this um, uh, conversation. 
with Pfizer and Moderna having submitted data showing 90 to 95% effectiveness in their early release uh, uh, information, as well as very safe um, profiles. Uh, you know, the most common um, safety event was fatigue, some, you know, headaches and fevers, but in general, we await the full release of the information, but the information that we've seen at the time that we're reporting shows a highly efficacious and very safe um, vaccine. They do have very particular storage requirements being uh, frozen or ultra frozen, but the health system has been gearing up really to be able to manage the distribution and administration of these vaccines. We have another uh, set that uh, will be um, are in trial. We're about to start AstraZeneca with Oxford, Johnson & Johnson, Novavax are in trials right now, and we will see those likely in early 2021, uh, submitting for review by the FDA as well. And, um, you know, in terms of the uh, distribution and handling, what we do know is that these will require various levels of cold chain, so dry ice, ultra-cold freezers, and optimized logistics. Uh, many of these will be coming in multi-dose vials requiring five to 15 doses. Uh, per vial, uh, and once a vial is uh, opened up, there will be a limited time to use all of those doses before there's any wastage or spoilage. And we know that these vaccines, all the leading candidates look to be two-dose vaccines, so initial dose and then second dose at 21 to 28 days after the first vaccination. And so it's going to be really important for those providers of the vaccination to have that logistics uh, capabilities. Uh, to be able to manage cold chain, multi-dose files, and follow-up in terms of dosing, scheduling, and tracking. And the CDC is meeting uh, and a subcommittee uh, called the ACIP will be voting uh, actually today on the December 1st, the day that we're recording this, uh, to create a, a plan for and guidance for the country on the phases of um, release of the um, COVID vaccine and who should be vaccinated when. And so uh, there is emerging consensus that in this phase one, it will be high-risk health workers and first respondents, as well as those who are uh, most vulnerable. And th that definition will likely be long-term care facilities and skilled nursing facilities, elderly uh, individuals living in these congregate uh, facilities. Um, and so, uh, as we move on from phase one of high-risk health workers, first respondents, skilled nursing facilities, long-term care facilities, uh, there will be a phased uh, approach uh, that the CDC will provide that will help us work through from there to the general population. This guidance will be then given to states, and states will adapt and modify it to ensure that the local needs of the state are met using the providers of that uh, area. So this will be uh, evolving in terms of a rollout plan over the next couple of uh, weeks and, and uh, or so, uh, but there was this emerging consensus around what phase one will look like. In terms of availability, about 20 million doses uh, will be available for the, each of the leading manufacturers, uh, so for Pfizer and Moderna over the first couple of months. 
And then uh, each of the other manufacturers have similar amounts of uh, capability to produce vaccine. And so if you have 40 million doses that are produced every month, you know, 20 for each of the two leading manufacturers, uh, then that would allow you, um, knowing that there's two doses per person, about 20 million people can be vaccinated per month. So when we talk about when will the general population have an opportunity to be vaccinated, that likely will be in Q2 of 2021, uh, depending on how manufacturing plays out. Uh, and then uh, what we have also noticed is that there's variable interest in terms of the COVID vaccine, in terms of acceptability. And so uh, there's a lot of survey data. Most recently at CBS Health had uh, uh, performed a large uh, uh, review uh, survey of over 5,000 individuals across the country uh, and found variable interest. Uh, and so overall, there's uh, approximately um, anywhere between, um, you know, 10 to 20 percent are interested in getting the vaccine as soon as it's available. And then another 20 to 40 percent would be interested but will want to wait and see how it plays out in those early days. And then up to 20 to 40% where there's uh, hesitancy. Uh, and when I say uh, that range, that range varies based on community, white, black, or brown. So we see overwhelming um, interest and hesitancy across all communities, as well as variable interest by communities of color. And so as we think about uh, how we can increase awareness and education. We need to have general population messages as well as tailoring communications to address the unique concerns of each community. So what can we do now, uh, and I'll, I'll wrap up here, is that this is really an exciting time for our country. 2020 has been incredibly difficult for all of us with the unimaginable toll that we've all taken as a country. Uh, and we are now entering the next phase where we can now add another tool of vaccinations to our armamentarium of fighting the pandemic. But as employers, we still need to continue to encourage our employees to get their preventative services, to get their flu vaccine and pneumococcal vaccines, to follow the CDC guidelines around wearing a mask, uh, hand washing, uh, social distancing and consider uh, uh, thoughtful use of testing to, and contact tracing. So we are now entering this next phase. This next phase is quite frankly, our Generations Manhattan Project in terms of being able to um, vaccinate uh, a large population of uh, America. Um, and so very excited about that. Um, and so with that, I will, um, pause there. And Stacy, I really want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about the science, the road to approval, and what the next couple of months will look like. Yes, this is great information. Thanks so much for sharing. So if I were to summarize for our In the Booth listeners, you know, it's exciting. We've got multiple pathways to effective and safe vaccines. Um, states will be setting individual priorities, but it'll be based on CDC guidance combined with their individual needs. And Q2 21 is the most likely timeline for mass vaccination, but it's going to be critical 
that the public be comfortable with those vaccinations. So employers, some actions that employers can take is making sure they're educating their employees on the safety and efficacy of the vaccine, making sure they're educating their general population, as well as addressing specific communities, individual concerns. And finally, employers, I think you mentioned, can make sure that they're encouraging their employees to continue getting preventive care the regular flu vaccine, and reminding them of CDC protocols around hand washing, social distancing, and mask wearing. Is that a pretty good summary of, of where we stand? You've got it, Stacey. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope our listeners found this helpful. Uh, the pandemic is continuing on, and we've got a pathway forward that might get us back to some sense of normalcy. So appreciate you sharing this information with us. Thank you. And please be safe. Yeah, same to you. Thank you. Take care.